Hi, I'm Lisa Wilcox, listening to The World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about... A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Okay. Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, indeed. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm the other host, and my name is Brian Connolly. And you picked Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, to talk about for this Mother's Day. We have a very special guest, my the my sister from the Nightmare on Elm Street world and the star of Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, Lisa Wilcox, will be joining us. And uh, here we go. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, as listeners know, I've been put through many a movie that I've been uncomfortable with on this show, and I've trudged through like a true hero, but I thought I would be a real jerk and make Andros watch the Nightmare on Elm Street movie that followed the one he was killed off in, that he wasn't brought back for. <laughs> so how does it feel watching watching a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that you probably never thought or wanted to watch? Yeah, I've never seen this one before. This is the first time I've watched it. I watched it last night. Um, I I sort of take a method stance towards it. I just feel like if I wasn't like my character wouldn't have seen what happened after I was dead. Why would I? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we have we haven't. I mean, I I I hope this is one that the fans like. You know, because might be a lot of people really love the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and there's certainly a lot to love in them. I've they've been my experience with them has been a big part of my life sometimes for good sometimes not not for great and uh there is one cool weird synchronicity about my experience with nightmare that i just like to share with people because it is the cool for me the coolest thing about it which i think i've talked about it on the show i know i talk about it a lot on radio eight ball my father was a very well-regarded and well-known dream psychologist, wrote many, many books about dreams and education. And then the fact that the film that I am most well-known for is, the I think, the only dream-based film franchise in, yeah. in film history is just a weird, weird synchronicity. And... In the uh, in the Up Against Amanda episode, the one where we talked about with Justine Priestley, she talked about how when she was making Up Against Amanda, she was just thinking, I don't want this to be the height of my acting career. Please don't let this be the height of my acting career. Uh, I didn't even know enough to have that wish when I was making Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street 4. I had I just had there was no part of me that thought, oh, well, this is the height of it. This is just a little dumb little thing I'm doing on the way to the next thing. And it has become the thing. And <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So thank you for making me uh, talk about it as I do whenever I go to conventions. And I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it with fans who are excited about the film. Generally less so to talk about it with people who have podcasts and want to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Um, but because you're my friend, and as you said, you have agreed to go through some films that you were uncomfortable with, I feel like it's only fair to you, for the audience. But mostly we're going to be hearing from Lisa Wilcox. So Yes, which very excited to interview her. Um, so yeah, let's... Um, <clears throat> Let's go to a clip, and then we'll, we'll go into it. Okay. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. Sobering. <laughs> Very funny. Alice. When did you become such a smart chopper? Ever since my little girl became a mom. You disappointed in me? No. No, I'm not. I sort of hope it's a boy. Be nice to hear a boy playing around in the house again. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Uh, yeah, this... <laughs> so I, I don't think I need to go into who Freddy Krueger is or how... Like, everyone knows that. You know, he's a guy with knives or fingers that enters your dreams and can kill you in your dream, which then can kill you in real life. Uh, this is the end of sort of a three-movie uh, mini-story that's within the franchise that started with part three with the Dream Warriors, then went to part four, the Dream Master, and now part five, the Dream Child. Uh, the character of Alice, who from part four, uh, is now graduating high school, and Freddy's back! And surprise, she's pregnant, and <laughs> drama and horror ensues uh this is a crazy movie uh that has i think some of the biggest set pieces in the nightmare franchise and in my opinion the best dream sequences in the nightmare franchise the gore effects are top notch and very disturbing robert england is giving as always a great performance as freddy krueger here they've kind of upped even the comedy more maybe to match and balance out how disturbing and upsetting this movie is but he's more wisecracky than ever and uh yeah i think that's all i need to say you don't have to see the other movies to appreciate this but it would definitely help i think to see at least part four just because it's the same character of Alice brought over. And even those two movies, I feel like, really complement each other. So if you haven't seen that, watch those two, then listen to the rest of this episode. Okay, and how how do you feel like the world is wrong about Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child? I feel like this is the one that's left that no one talks about out of all the Nightmare movies, or not enough. Like, I feel for a while it was this and part two, but now in the last few years, part two has had this whole kind of resurgence of appreciation. There was that documentary Scream, Queen uh, that's all about part two and the main actor that's in it. Uh, and that kind of has made people re uh, uh, finally appreciate part two. And I think part five still hasn't quite gotten there yet. I think there's some big fans of it, but as a whole, I think people just kind of 
skip over it, which I think is very unfortunate because I find this one to be one of the more fascinating sequels because there's so much going on in this movie. There's so much button pushing on top of just this crazy, big uh, psychological horror movie. Well, let's go to let's go to our conversation with Lisa about this. But before I do, there is one thing I did notice as I watched the this film for the first time last night. Yeah. And made me think of why you, you know, whenever I watch a film that you suggest, there's a part of me that's playing the game of what is it that makes Brian really <laughs> like this one? And with this, I felt like there was some definite nothing but trouble in energy in the in the death of one of the characters the, there's a very gross table scene where she's having food stuffed in her face and it yeah yeah it reminded me of dan Aykroyd's judge hot dogs and his hot dogs at the dinner scene something about that it it grossed me out in the same way and i thought i bet brian likes this <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I didn't think about that, but that's possible. <laughs> okay, well, let's go to the conversation with Lisa. Thank you, everybody, for doing this. Yeah, and by the way, your name and my contact is Brian Andros. <laughs> All righty. So this is our special Mother's Day episode. Uh, we are just excited to have a special guest here. Uh, we normally don't have me on the episodes with the guests because I'm usually very shy and Andros is the more gregarious one and able to talk to people. But I thought Andros it would be fun. Andros gregarious? What? <laughs> <laughs> but we have a cool special... <laughs> we are doing A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. And we have a special guest here, uh, with Lisa Wilcox, who plays Alice in this great movie. Thank you for coming on the show, Lisa. Well, thank you, Brian, for having me. <laughs> uh, so I I don't know if you've listened to our show or not, but what we like to do is we talk about movies that we feel the world is wrong about. And I think usually one of us likes to talk about that, but I thought maybe I would turn it to you first as to how do you think the world is wrong about Nightmare on Elm Street 5? Nightmare on Elm Street 5 was just so way advanced for what people could handle. Um, Nightmare 5, I call, to me, as a precious little film. It was quite a very brave film because it was dealing with all kinds of issues in 1989 that um, people didn't want to hear about. Teen pregnancy. Yeah. Things yeah. like bulimia and anorexia. Things like alcoholism, because dad gets sober, is sober in Nightmare 5. Um, there are just so many, um, what is the word? Andras, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like controversial or hot button culture war type, pre-culture war, culture war type issues. Just, yeah, that no one. And so this little film decides to involve all kinds of them. Okay. So that was a, a difficult, um, it was brave, but no one wanted to 
hear about all of these different. Well, there's a key word, Andros. What is it? Heck. Anyway, just controversial. Not jinx. It was more. I'll come up with the word. I'll find the word. But <laughs> it was just too. It's too much in one little film. Look at Nightmare <laughs> Four. Okay, Nightmare Four. You. It's there's great funny lines. There's great deaths. There's all kinds of, you know, it had some darkness, but it was like the MTV version of Nightmare on Elm Street. Then we go to Nightmare 5. Holy moly. You know? (laughs) It wasn't fun to watch or to even contemplate these very touchy matters that were going on in real life, in culture in 1989. And was this something you picked up on immediately, like when you read the script, or was it more kind of an afterthought after it was done? Oh, no. I didn't pick up on anything back then. I was only in my 20s. Now I'm (laughs) approaching 60. I pick up on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, really. It was just just very touchy subjects. Okay, Andras, I'm going to rely on the word to find it out. But it, it just was hot topics that you just didn't want to talk about. And one film like touched on so many of them all in 90 minutes and yeah, not fun. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's what makes this to me like the most upsetting of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Like to me, this is the one that is the scariest and the most upsetting because of all those sort of taboo subjects taboo that's the word taboo (laughs) thank you brian thank you brian Um, (laughs) it was it was so taboo and again that's why i go back to calling it a great really brave little film i mean what we're actually going to see like freddy krueger's mom who was a nun he was you know locked in with 99 maniacs and raped and this is the child that was born and then all the other subject matters I talked about. I mean, it was really, really oh, taboo. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and so kind of the argument I made for this, doing this episode to Andras was that I feel this is the nightmare movie I hear the least about from people that are fans of it. And I wonder if that is because it is one where you actually have to really think a lot about stuff. You can't just turn your brain off and it's not just fun. It is all these things sort of going on in the movie that forces you to kind of think think about kind of, yeah, what was going on in 89 or sadly still today. Absolutely. And very well said, Brian. And it, it is that film. And that's why it's been discarded. And, you know, we went from, you know, huge box office from Nightmare 4, the Dream Master, and then the Dream Child is like a completely, I mean, turn away from that. It was not an MTV-like film. It was very serious. It was dealing with real issues, which, yes, are still dealt with today. But nowadays, we can talk about bulimia and anorexia and alcoholism and uh, teen pregnancy and abortion and that kind of thing much more, you know, readily now as opposed yeah. to 1989. Yeah. Uh, and and it's I funny. find when I do conventions and meet, you know, 
you know, all the followers of Nightmare on Elm Street, that Nightmare 5 is actually appreciated much more in, honestly, just only the in the last three or four years. That's great. Um, so I don't know what New Line was thinking <laughs> when they <laughs> said, you know, yes, yeah, the script of Nightmare Five, the dream child, let's do it. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Oh, oh, and the other thing is, Nightmare Five has the least amount of Freddy Krueger screen time, Robert England, of any of the films. Also, Danny's death, my boyfriend, who impregnated me, right? He has the most gruesome death. Mm-hmm. They had to keep, I mean, they did amazing effects you know, with the motorcycle and all that. But they had to get approved for a R rating. And it was an X rating because of the gruesomeness of the motorcycle and Danny getting killed with the wires going in his body. They had to do many, many, um, keep reducing, changing, this and that, to even get an R rating with Nightmare 5. Wow. Um, yep. That's crazy. Like, Someone must have been on LSD or something. Like, I don't know what happened, but it was a real turnaround from where it's, it's the franchise was going. It's interesting because it seems like it's also, at the time, the most expensive one, at least by how it looks. Like, it looks very big, this movie, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Well, we made a I lot of money really... on Nightmare 4, so they had a lot of money <laughs> to spend. <laughs> <laughs> did you get some of that money, Lisa? Did they get they? That was probably most of that uh, went to your what? salary. I probably, only got right? double sag on Josh. That's it. <laughs> I got sag during four, and then I got double sag during five. Hello. Well, you know, I got sag for four, and uh, what would be the opposite of double? Not not half, like a, a total a total reduction of set no sag for for number five. So be happy. Be happy. Double <laughs> double sag is better than no sag at all. Uh, yeah, and what sag? Uh, whatever. You know, this was my first but... time watching the film last night. Nightmare five. Yeah. Andras, are you shitting me? Yeah, I'm. I'm I went full method on this. I'm like, I haven't. After I'm dead, <laughs> I don't feel like it's right for me. To, I haven't seen six or seven either. It's not just five. I haven't seen like I. It's, <laughs> I don't feel like it's right. I my car- oh, Rick. Oh my land. Um, <laughs> okay, so you went method on this, Andras. I okay. So what did you? Okay, what? Did, how would you rate my performance? Um, how would I rate your performance? Uh, be, be honest. Be totally honest. Throw tomatoes. Well, you know, you know what it is it's so it's so hard for me to watch it. It was. I'm Why? so. I'm well because it's just like. Because you weren't in it. No, well, that's 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 not the main thing. There is that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but there's also just you're like you and Dan. You're just so painfully young. I mean, I've been we've been friends and together all of these years, and mm. I know how beautiful and young you all we all were in four, and I've sort of incorporated that. And I've, but to go and just immerse myself back in 1989 and see the two of you, just, uh, 
it was really <laughs> disorienting. And yes, I did see, I couldn't help but watch and be like, well, you know, you could have worked Rick into this part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So you egomaniac. No, no, it's no, it's it's it's, it's the you, it's the I'm opposite. Sweet. No, no, no. It's not. It's it's much more. It's way more insecure and sad than being an egomaniac. It's more like feeling. You know, it's like watching your friends play a game, and you're like, well, why do I should be involved in this game? You know, we're all. Hey, we all. Well, I wish you'd been there. Yeah. I wish you still lived. But yeah. what? interesting is the beauty of nightmare five is when dad says it'll be nice to hear i can't quote it exactly but his line about to have a little boy running around again yeah like he couldn't he couldn't have just said rick come on (laughs) it could have been any little boy you maybe had another brother at some point maybe he's got something with maybe he had a daycare center he could have said it would be rick would have been a great uncle. How about that? He could have said that. Absolutely. It could have been a family again. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and, and certainly could have used your help, you know, in nightmare five as the character of Alice. Absolutely. Who doesn't want a brother, even I, though you are my little brother, but I could but have been a force ghost, a you know, I could have come and <laughs> given you advice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like a force ghost. That would have worked perfectly because one of the cool things about Nightmare 5 is what what they did with the black and white and then the red and the comic book character, you know? Mm -hmm. That that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I hear you. Is that character supposed to read as gay? Because I thought that's another area in 89 where I feel like the movie was pushing a little bit of a boundary. Well, I don't. Hmm. Nightmare Five. You see, is there is a gay issue? No, just or that I, the just the comic book guy is that character supposed to be coded as gay? What character? The comic book guy. Mark. No, he wasn't not. No, he was just an artist. He was in love with Erica. Well, what what the what's the character name? Whatever. No, he wasn't considered gay at all he was he had a heartthrob for erica anderson uh, greta for greta okay maybe i'm maybe i'm just uh the you know you know how you know you know films are very films are very scary films disorient me i don't know what i don't like i just i don't know what's going on in them it's uh you've not been a fan of horror films since you were a little boy uh i think friday the 13th was the one that was like, I don't need to do this no more. When the, <laughs> the when, first one? When it came out, yeah. I saw Friday the 13th and was just like, nah, nah this music, this, this movie does not have wow. my best interests well, at heart. Yeah. I've never been into uh, gory films, and Friday the 13th is gory. I don't see Nightmare on Elm Street as gory. It's more of a psychological thriller. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I've been a horror fan as it were since I was little but it was more about Frankenstein and Dracula and Twilight Zone and the psychological thrill not blood and guts I've never been a fan of the blood and guts film <laughs> so perhaps I... Andras we have something in common oh yeah well we have we have so much in common our whole lives have been wrapped wrapped around each other in so many ways okay 
I'm sorry, but Mark character character Mark in Nightmare Five that is not a gay thing. I okay, don't well, you know, hey, it's not a bad thing, you know. I, you know, it's uh. Well, no, it's not a bad thing I, at all. But I'm just saying, Nightmare Five. I don't see that element in it. He's in love with Greta. Yeah, I think he's supposed to just be like an artist. Like to me, he read where he's like they're trying to do like a nerdy, awkward, like artist character. Yeah, and his dad hates him because he's an artist and you know doesn't want want to run the factory or whatever. You know, um, you know his father, Mark's father in Nightmare Five, is you know a douchebag. Yeah, and I, and it was more about he's not fitting in. You know. Let's talk about 1989 fitting in, you know. Nowadays, you can stutter and have autism, and that's perfectly acceptable as long as you show up at your job, you know. And, and <laughs> you know, we all have our impediments. God knows I have them. And now those impediments are so much more acceptable, you know. Oh, great. You like to do rock rage rock and roll or tattoos or uh, anything, you know, and you have that as your side job or your main job or your passion, you know, to find your passion is much more acceptable now. Jeez. Yeah. So Brian, what else, what else, what, what else do you so, think is special about this film on Mother's Day? So, <laughs> oh yeah, so we're getting back to Mother's Day. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just think that this goes through a lot of how hard it is to be a mom. And, uh, and just like it goes into the going back to it being psychological. I think that's what sort of separates these movies the Nightmare on Elm Street movies from like other slashers. To me, it's weird that this movie is always grouped in with Friday the 13th and Halloween because to me, those are slashers where this, because it's psychological, to me, reads very differently. It's more emotional. It's more about the characters. It's more about sort of the what they have to go through. And I think the character of Alice, this this whole process of going, uh, becoming a mother, finding out your mom, and then kind of what it's like to have to carry a child and deal with all these people's uh, opinion on it, and also just sort of the trauma of of what it's like to be a mom, which I you know will never know because I'm not a woman. I'll never give childbirth, you know, or anything like that. But I think this movie really taps into into that sort of in the same way that like a Rosemary's Baby does, or It's Alive, or other great sort of movies about you know children and motherhood. Well, you just said a lot there, Brian. <laughs> so I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch on it. Um, absolutely, in 1989, to be a <laughs> teenager and pregnant and alone. He, you know, the father has died, been killed, and. What Alice had to go through was ter- just terror in its own right. Keep the baby, have the baby, have her deceased love of her life take care of the baby. Take, I mean, all the decisions this woman, Alice, had to make. And 
it's it's quite something, really. And in Nightmare Five, to see how Freddy is born, and he, you know, his mother was a nun that was raped. So that's another taboo subject matter, rape. Okay? So it's really, truly down-to-earth horrific. So that's why Nightmare 5 offers just, whew, whew, wow, take a deep breath. <laughs> and all of the topics we're talking about that Nightmare 5 touches on. Yeah. Um, and, I've... you know, what's interesting to me is the beginning of Nightmare 5 is a lovemaking scene. You don't see breasts or nipples or a penis or a vagina or anything. It is a making love scene, which was truly beautiful. The opening sequence. And I know Robert, Robert and I have talked about it too. And it's like to him too, it's like really beautiful and passionate. It was real, real love between Alice and Danny. I mean, think about Nightmare 4, how it got there. He's the beautiful stud. Alice is the shy, you know, wallpaper girl. But they end up together. And in Nightmare 5, they are together. And I do feel like it's one of the most beautiful beginning sequences I've ever seen in a horror film, if you want to call it. <clears throat> but getting back to that point, too, I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street as a horror film. It, it is psychological. It, yeah. I mean, Freddy gets you through your dreams. He kills you through your deepest fears, you know? What, you know, uh, Brooke sees Debbie turns into a cockroach. She hates insects. She turns into an insect, you know? <laughs> and that is a repeated theme in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And I think that's why Freddy's sort of the perfect villain, movie villain, because people have dreams in real life. So, like, you can watch these movies or see just his character in a picture and then have an actual nightmare with Freddy Krueger in it. And so, like, these movies sort of, like, have this perpetual way to advertise itself to you, even in your dreams. I'm looking at the yeah. credits and I, I don't... I. Uh, I don't know this the screenwriter, but is uh, Leslie Boehm or Bohm? Is she the first uh, woman to write one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films? I well, I think that's a guy whose name is Leslie. Are you? Oh, okay. Well, then <laughs> definitely he is not the first woman to write a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but nice try. <laughs> yes. Uh, Andra, square peg, round hole. Uh, sorry. You need to Google more. <laughs> well, I think uh, sort of why this movie is so upsetting to me is thinking about sort of all the stuff that Alice goes through 
sort of in the because this movie is sort of the end of the story arc that starts in part three and they have part four and part five and it kind of is the same these characters kind of go through this three little mini arc and just thinking about how in part four alice loses her brother most of her friends and then in this one like which i'm assuming takes place a year later she loses her boyfriend. She is now a pregnant teen. Freddie's back. She loses her set of friends again, a new set of friends again. And just like that amount of trauma, I can imagine is that's that's crazy. Oh my gosh, Brian. I love hearing your perspective. This is amazing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Alice at the end of five, it's fine. She has her baby, Jacob, her father, Alice's dad, there, her best friend, there. But what really could have happened? You know, Alice, you know, (laughs) could be in a mental asylum. (laughs) She would break. So maybe five isn't realistic, honestly, because she didn't break. But yet she's happy, you know, having a little picnic, you know. Um, And it's so interesting to me is that I know how disappointing it is to me, but also fans who follow the series and the logistics of Nightmare on Elm Street. And it still just doesn't make sense. What happened to Alice and Jacob? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but when I ask that question, I'm an egomaniac. (laughs) Fans want to know where Rick is. They want to know where is his ghost? Why isn't his ghost talking to Lisa, I mean, to Alice and helping her? You died in Nightmare 4. Just accept it. Okay? You You sound happy about it. You sound happy about it. We'll we'll call it Nightmare 10, and you do come back as a ghost. Okay. It won't work now. I'm and too so old. I would. Alice ghosts and Jacob don't age. In some capacity. <laughs> it, it is actually because I watched all of them this week. And it is weird that the story kind of stops here with part five with these characters, especially since part six is about this grown up kid of Freddy's. And then part seven is about like Heather Langenkamp's son. And like, why couldn't they have instead just continued with like, what is it like to be a kid growing up in this sort of world where your mom had to deal with this? It's weird. It is weird to me that they don't, they did never have gone back to it. They could do it now. Well, Brian, I so admire you right now. And I'm going to have to do this soon is watch all of them right in a row, in a row, in a row, in a row, right? Like watching a soap opera. Yeah. And that it, it's, there's, it, there are things that are jarring. Like, why did it move to that all of a sudden? Right? <laughs> yeah. What, what happens in the next movie? In part six? Yeah. It has nothing to do with any of this. It is basically like a whole new group of people. There's this guy. There, there's this. There's this uh, lady who ends up like basically they find out that he she's Freddie's daughter, all grown up, and that he had a family, and it's just them kind of dealing with it. And it, Lisa Zane played it. Yeah, and she's very good, and I do like the movie, but it just it just doesn't it it just 
So sad because three, four, and five work together so well. It's this great kind of one big movie. And then they kind of hmm. shift to six. And six is also way goofier, I think, maybe to make up for how heavy part five was. So six is a little more silly. Yeah, and uh, I think, I don't know. I just feel like they could have kept going from five with kind of more this kind of family dynamic and what it's like to be a family. Because what I, what I really like about part five is it is so different than the other ones because it's not really in high school. This is graduations happen. So this is sort of the first Nightmare on Elm Street that's about adults, like albeit they're young adults yes. or people about becoming adults. So that is sort of a different take on it. And I feel they could have kept going with from adults to a family unit dealing with it or something as opposed to just a bunch of kids. I completely concur, Brian. And, <laughs> you know, I look at Nightmare 4 as I'm a girl and she becomes a woman. She fights Freddy. Then in Nightmare 5, she's definitely a woman and pregnant, right? <laughs> so let's continue with the womanhood. Happy Mother's Day. Um, and they went, instead, they just completely disregarded, like Andros, you were saying, and Brian, too. Three, four, and five do have so, some co- coherency, you know? Yeah. But then in Nightmare 6, it's like... It never happened. How dare you? That's so rude. This is rude. It's like people are watching this, you know, and all of a sudden Nightmare 6, and it's like just disregarded the coherency of the film, the series, the, the development of these characters and also these concepts. Yeah. Of life. Yeah. So and- shame on them. <laughs> well, Along, uh, can I say something, Brian? Along those sure. lines, I noticed there's a, there is a line I remembered when you uh, you tell the the you're trying to tell the Freddy Krueger story to your friends, and you're like, and he killed twenty or thirty kids. That's a big difference. <laughs> is it twenty? Is it twenty? Like, how many kids? Like, there are twenty important kids and maybe ten others that we don't we may or may not know about. What about those kids? And who's who sings for them? <laughs> well, it's, it's too upsetting. Excellent point. I should have known exactly how many. Freddie has killed 21 and a half children. You should. And you bring out a, like, a little scrapbook that you've got. And this is <laughs> all. You can show all of the different. Now you have a picture of Johnny Depp in there. <laughs> People would love that. Oh, Andras, you're terrible. Uh, one other thing that I really loved about this movie is be, it, because it's sort of the last chapter in this three movie arc. It was really great to see the dad come back and that he did sober up because in part four, he was such a jerk and it was really sad and almost abusive. But to be able to show that kind of turnaround of the character, that's one of the nicest story arcs I think that Nightmare on Elm Street has ever done. And again, I guess what I want to say is Nightmare 5 is such a, man, it just tried to hit on so too many points. So the, the point you just brought up is a significant one. Dad sobered up. Dad is ready to have a, and stands up for Alice. No, she's going to keep her child. We're going to take care of him, you know. Um, it was like, 
in a way, remember in the 80s, they had the after school movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was an element part of five. It's like dad's going to support his daughter. Yeah. And and that actor's really the actor's really good. What is that, Brian? That that actor is really good, Nicholas M- Melly. How oh do you say God. his last name? We don't know what we we <laughs> we don't know what where he is anymore. That he left acting or whatever. Um, a documentary was done, um, and they uh, interviewed almost over two hundred actors. You know, background actors, us, everybody. You know, and couldn't find. Him. That was the Never Weird. Sleep Again um, film, which uh, yeah, the Never Sleep Again. Yeah, I really like the scene at the graduation when he's kind of embarrassed to show himself, and and you're like, oh, I didn't realize you were here, and he's like, oh, no one wants to see the old drunk, and like that's just there's just something really uh, great about that moment. Well, I was disappointed that he didn't show his face, but he was hiding behind a tree and explained himself, but I accepted him for who he was. And the new man that he became, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in many ways, Nightmare 5 to me is like a soap opera in mm. some ways. Because it hits on, like, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> on the reality of who he was, who he's become, who she is now, and has become pregnant teenager, <laughs> you know, Um it just, I don't know. I think, Brian, you hit on it. It was just kind of all over the place. <laughs> Nightmare 5 couldn't decide what to do with itself. <laughs> but, I, but I really like that it's, because usually the other Nightmare movies, it's the, it's the girl or the young guy dealing with nobody believing that they are dealing with Freddy Krueger. And your character has that, but then you also have people dealing with you uh, being pregnant and people thinking that you're crazy. And so like, there's that great scene where Dan's parents come and is like, how, how about we take the baby? How about you give it up for adoption while you go get mental health help? And like that, that kind of extra layer of emotions that you have to deal with as a character. I don't think any of the other kind of final girls or whatever in these other movies had to deal with that. No, that, and that's a great point. So we'll add that to the list of what Nightmare 5 deals with. <laughs> now we're going to ask mental illness. Are you crazy? Yeah. Are you unstable? Can you even possibly take care of a baby? Yeah. Kind of thing? Um, so, yeah. Well, this has been awesome because Nightmare 5 does deal with so many explosive issues, you know. And we're not, we haven't even talked about Greta and her... <laughs> you know, bulimic, yeah, the, uh, whatever, and how to please your parents. Uh, gosh. So, yeah. No, th- that... Nightmare 5 is a deep, heavy film, <laughs> put it that way. It just is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, character, that, that character of Greta is really interesting because a lot of horror movies always will have, like, the rich kid or like the, the fancier kid, but this one actually kind of goes behind closed doors as to kind of how hard 
that actually is for those kids to grow up in that and kind of have to live up to these sort of whatever part of society that they're, yeah, they're the expected to do. of their parents. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, I cut you off. But. No, that's fine. <laughs> and her her death scene is particularly disturbing and upsetting, I think, because because of that. Wait, say again. I couldn't hear you. I, th- I think the, the Greta's death scene is, is particularly upsetting because it's at the table with her mom in front of sort of all these, these, I'm guessing, friends of her mom as she's sort of trying to bring her into this sort of upper crust society post uh, high school. Um and yeah, and dealing with bulimia and all that, uh, just it's very, that's a very upsetting scene to me. It is. It, it really is. That whole dinner scene. Oh, my gosh. And she's like, Greta, you know, <laughs> and she's just trying to be a 17 year old, 18 year old, just trying to get through life. OK, she's modeling. She's pretty, whatever. But the fact that she's put on this expectation to behave like a movie star and she's just a teenager um so that's another point to hit on regarding nightmare five um (laughs) and i don't know if it's something that that it's only the modern me that is seeing it this way but when the mother is saying to the model to her, her daughter about the modeling agency guy you could be a little bit more grateful. I'm like, Ugh, what do you mean? What, like, that seems very, uh, I don't know. I think the word might be groomy now. Like, Absolutely. there's something that is very Absolutely. icky. Like, be more grateful to this guy. Go off alone with him. Let him take you on a weekend excursion. Be nice to him. Be nicer to You're him right. when he's grabbing Just your come. ass. You know, like... I don't know. Yeah. I, I, all of that was implied there, but I don't know if that was intentional or if that's no. just me viewing it with a 2020 vision as opposed to a 1989 vision. Andras, you're so absolutely right on point. Absolutely. You know, there's a point of stage moms. Oh, so he groped you. Oh, it was no big deal. Are you pregnant? No. Oh, well, then you're fine. Go with it. Go with it. You know? But back in the day, you know, would be stage moms. Well, and they still exist. And they'll let their child, they want their child to do whatever it takes for fame, money, whatever, and not really care about their, the implications it's going to have on their child <laughs> psychologically, you know. So, <laughs> all right, so we're going to add that to the list of Nightmare 5 as far as mm-hmm. taboo, you know. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was very progressive about just the nightmare movies in general that was very noticeably different from, say, the Friday the 13th movies is the kind of the the friend group. The friend groups are it's every type of archetype in high school with okay with each other. Like you have sort of this art nerd guy, you have the jock, you have the prep. And all these different people, but they're all friends and they're not picking on each other. They're all just cool with with one another. Like, there's not bowling within the friend group so much, which I found really fascinating and feels like something that is more used now in movies and TV. But back then, I feel it used to be more like, 
one side would not be okay with the other side. But in these movies and in this movie in part four and all of them, it's like everyone's kind of cool with each other at high school. I think that is an amazing observation, Brian, honestly. (laughs) Um, And yes, because, you know, the most handsome jock guy, he's envied by all the other jock guys. The most beautiful girl in high school is envied by all the other girls. Um, then you have the smart, the smarty pants, the smart one, right? Mm-hmm. Envied. So in a way, those characters are all um, separated from everyone else in high school because they're special, they're unique, and they are ultimately kind of nerds in a way. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm thinking of like the, again, these are before superhero movies, but there is the way that Nightmare Kids are arranged by their talents, which are which end up being their weaknesses, Absolutely. make yes. them right. all yes. kind of like superheroes, like a superhero group, like she's the smart one and he's the strong one. And Oh my God, you, know, it, you so nailed it. Right, Andra, thank you. Yeah, it's like... And here we are, the super friends fighting Thanos Kruger. (laughs) And fighting our own demons at the same time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. This this seems like it was a very, very uh, physically draining role for you to play. Because you have to do stunts, you're running around a lot, you're climbing. You have all these various emotions with your... Being pregnant and lost boyfriend and uh, and friends dying and no one believing you was it as exhausting to play as it is to watch? <laughs> oh my gosh, um, I I don't honestly don't recall it being more exhausting than, than any other film. And you know, at this date, two thousand twenty-two, I've done a lot of films. <laughs> um. I don't know. I think maybe the energy I had back then, I was 27, 20, wait, 26, I think, when I did that, nine, nine, the Nightmare 5. But, you know, you really don't think about it. You guys can edit this, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't think about it. It was as daunting as any other film, physically. Yeah. You know, you work long hours and you just do what's required. You're like, you're in, I'm in character and I'm doing whatever is, is needed. What I will say is the Escher set, the, the Escher mm-hmm. set. Okay. Whew. Wow. That was tough. Um, so when I'm looking at Jacob, He's literally on stairs above me, and then I, you know, I, I go, you tilt your head back further, further, no, further, further. I'm like, I can't, I, okay, you want me to do a back bend or something? You know? <laughs> so that was definitely daunting. Um, as far as it was a, literally a set that I had to adapt to. And move my body to get the right camera angle. But at times, it was like, I can't go back further. Can you, like, 
change the camera angle or something. <laughs> It it was it was uh, it was it was really something. <laughs> you know, one thing that was really scary for me watching it, um, the 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 shower scene at the beginning. Uh, first of all, I just felt you know I was like, oh wow, there, it's I, again this this is me watching it as a, as your friend and as a fellow actor. I'm like, wow, that Lisa's going to have to do a lot of it in the last twenty four hours. Yeah, uh-huh. she's gonna, she's got to do a lot of nudity in this. In this, that's not you know. My thinking is always like that's never comfortable on the set. Um, so there was that, but also I actually had what happened to your character happen to me like two or three days ago, sort of. <laughs> I was so I, uh, I I was driving from Los Angeles to Olympia, and I stayed at this this uh, hotel with a hot springs in Ashland, Oregon, a nice place called Lithia Springs Resort. And I got there and I was, uh, I I used the shower and the shower door closed and it closed in a way so that it couldn't open out and I couldn't pull it in because they had these, they had these (laughs) shampoos mounted there. So I was like stuck and I was naked and I was in the, in the shower and I'm pushing against glass and thinking, this is not good. Pushing against glass while you're naked is, is really, really scary. And I, you know, I eventually managed to like bend the thing and bend the, whatever the, the shower, uh, whatever goes around the outside of the shower that keeps it. Well, good thing you do Pilates. You were able to do that. I was I managed to be able to squeeze that out or like bend that thing and squeeze it out and kind of break their shower. But uh, but then when I was watching it, I was like, oh, wow, like that. I had that that visceral experience of of that is a really scary thing to be stuck in a shower. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up, Andras, because here's something I want to say. And I'm going to start saying it much more at conventions, et cetera, is that I had a clause, no nudity. And the body double, no nudity, okay? Very important to me. I hadn't had children yet. I knew I was going to have, I had just gotten married. I was going to have children, and I never wanted to be nude on screen, even if it was with Tom Cruise. Well, maybe (laughs) Tom. No, but it was really important to me, no nudity, including body doubles. So here's what happens. Um, there's shots of a body double walking down the hallway, backside shot. She made me look great. Great butt. Great ass. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, so that, but then when it came to the shower scene, I, um, and even with me, cause you know, if y'all know movie making, they still need a close up of your face. Right. So I'm wearing a bathing suit. And then the DP is like, we're seeing the top of your bathing suit. Can you move it down? I'm like, it's above my nipples, and it's not going any lower. Okay? And you have to understand, as a young actress, and they will just, oh, God, ask you to do anything. And I said, I'm like, no. Make the shot closer on my face then. Right? So then, um, the shower scene. I'm in my full suit, not a bikini, 
you know, just a body, you know, whole suit, whole bathing suit, and bring it down lower. Nope, not going to do it. Sorry. And ultimately, they shot it with a body double, and there's a shot, few shots, of where it looks like I'm naked, and you can see, see the pubic area. Okay. I that's not me. That was a body double and it broke all the rules in my contract. I had a lawyer to make my contract to make sure me, no body double, shows the pubic area. And it shows up. Yeah, it's a shower shot and it's exterior looking into and I was literally sitting next to Bob Shea, watching Nightmare 5 for the first time, you know, before it's coming out. And I was shocked. I was shocked. And I said, I don't know what I said to Bob Shea. I probably said nothing. I said, I'm not sitting next to you now. And I moved to the back of the theater, you know, which is that, the, the Productions theater or whatever. And I was horrified. Horrified. Hmm. The next day, I got um, a basket of fruit the size of a dining table (laughs) as an apology. Most of that basket had pears, and I hate pears. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. Lame. And that's You're also like... why my credits, my credit on the film, when you watch it, the beginning credits and the end credits, I'm next to the um, dog, literally. Hmm. Because you feel like they were doing that to try and make a statement about you? Oh, you bet your ass they did. Wow. I was also told, told that um, from hair and makeup that they were peeing in the water that was used in the shower scene. See, you have to understand, shower scene needs lots of water, so they have this big made-up pool thing outside and hoses to bring water in and I was told on set that all the crew were peeing in the water so a day came I learned this information I said well I've learned this and please replace the water with clean water thank you and so I was on set for 11 hours Now, I was in my trailer for 11 hours, did not work that day, because I said, well, you understand how long it's going to take to replace all this water in the pool. I'm like, do it. And so I just sat in my trailer all day, and then was sent home after mm, 13 hours. Wow. This, oh, people, this is how the sausage gets made, Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street. It's, uh... And I have every right to talk about this. Oh, yeah. And of course you do. And it pisses me off to this day. 
and to see that I'm really full lead in Nightmare 5. But look at the credits. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I thought I didn't even see your name in the end credits, which I thought was very strange. And it is very they strange. They did them by a- alphabetical order, didn't they? It's alphabetical order, not well, in terms of... Here's the thing, is what I learned, is that they, through SAS, I have to be listed in the front credits, but not listed in the back credits. Because, you know, you watch a movie, and you see front credits, starring blah, 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 blah. Back credits, then it just lists them. But it was not required by SAG for me to even be listed in the back end credits. I am listed, but I'm literally by the dog. The dog, the dog gets the credit. There's dog. <laughs> so yeah, they slammed me. They, they, freaking humiliating humiliating because i wouldn't pull my bathing suit down it's so it's so weird lisa because I mean, we haven't really talked about nightmare five i mean i think you may know nobody talks about nightmare I, five but i'm glad we are <laughs> but i you know i had a it's different but i had a similar experience after four of feeling like hey we just made all this movie this movie together why does the pe why do the people who made this movie hate me now like i'm in their movie like why are you get like you're putting out credit like press releases that have my name wrong you're not in, i'm not invited to nightmare events like all these things like what happened like i'm i thought we were <laughs> i thought we were friends you know and uh i mean not with the cast i never felt like that with the cast um but yeah, and it's just weird. I mean, I had no idea that you... I always just had the experience that everyone... Because we go to cons and everyone in Nightmare World loves and adores you. And so I just never knew that you had any negative experience with the Nightmare production at all. So... Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, it's yeah. so good. And I was just... Isn't that the word now? Is that another word? But no. Nightmare 5. Because I wouldn't pull my bathing suit down and I made it more difficult for them. And the fact that I asked them to replace the water because people were peeing in it. Do you want to really take a shower with other people's pee in it? No. I know. Instigated by or whatever I think they fully they were they protected me and were letting me know what was going on I don't honestly Andres it's because I pull my bathing suit down I wouldn't do nudity uh, it's all it's I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all that and it's really weird that they made you go through that because none of the other nightmare movies did any of the main ladies have to get naked at all. So why would they demand that of you in part five? Like, why would that change? Exactly. That's why I Nightmare on Elm Street as a more successful adventure rather than an ass and, you know, oh, she's running, ah! you know, and she, you know, running naked through the woods and get splashed. But yeah, Nightmare 5. No, they wanted nudity. And wow. they got it, but it wasn't me. It was someone else. Wow. The backside totally was in the contract. Backside, fine. You know, being a butt. Frontal, absolutely not. 
But oh no, they got it in there. Mm. But they knew. What could I do about it? Really, I'm going to sue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. Wow. So maybe that's why uh, Alice and Jacob never continued. <laughs> They're like, fuck Lisa Wilcox. She wouldn't show her nipples. And uh, we're just going to move on from this matter. Yeah. Um... And I've never, in my whole experience as an actress on many things, never been so slighted ever. And the credits at the end, I'm not even... Well, there. at least they didn't make a secret of it. <laughs> I'm not making a secret of it now and never have. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not been asked about Nightmare 5 very often, but... Believe me, I have my... Uh, you certainly got a really big scoop, and quite frankly, <laughs> I'm going to maybe talk about it more. What are they going to do? Do me for talking about it? Listen, no, I think, it's a bit, I, very I, curious adventure, and yeah. very curious about my credits in Nightmare 5. Yeah. And I just told you why. That's yeah. That's because nobody knows because on IMDb on trivia it mentions that your name's not in the end credits, and they and like the, they answer it as I guess they just forgot. <laughs> and it's like that doesn't that's not how this works. <laughs> like that's no way. There's no way they just forgot. How could they possibly mistake? Because Nightmare Five, I'm clearly the lead actress. Correct. Yeah. Nightmare Four is shared with Tuesday Night. She and I are like leads in Nightmare 4. The Nightmare 5? Oh, no, they forgot. They purposely left my name off the end credits and put me by the dog. That's crazy. That's not even there anymore. Uh, I swear the version I saw, which is off of a DVD, I didn't see your name at all. Uh, but maybe I, wasn't, maybe I wasn't expecting it at the bottom. How could they forget the lead actress in the end credits? They did it yeah. on purpose. Uh, what a load of bullshit. <laughs> That's such crap. It's Well, you know, me, pe most people don't know this, but the parents in Nightmare on Elm Street, they're <laughs> all based upon New Line executives. <laughs> so uh, I think that probably explains it. Well, I think they should re-release a director's cut of this movie on Blu-ray and put your fucking name at the very top of the end credits. <laughs> Seriously. It that's, that's is the least they can one do. of the most ridiculous. And I'm telling you, it's because I didn't, wouldn't pull my bathing suit down over, under my nipples. And I made a, I was a pain in the ass because I heard that crew were peeing in the pool water that has to go into the shower and <laughs> and that clearly in my contract was I nor any body double could show pubic area yeah. but they did anyway yeah I mean I know yeah. the nudity is the big issue but the peeing in the in the water is uh, actually feels like like <laughs> I think it's, I think there are some actors who would be fine being nude on film, but I don't know any actor or any person who would be fine standing in a pool of the urine of yeah. people you're working with who are supposed to be your 
friends and allies in work. Yeah. That's Yeah, that's not it's not <laughs> that's not a diva move. <laughs> I was told by hair and makeup people and I said, "Lisa, we want you to know. Crew peeing in the pool of water, the water that's going into the shower. Understand that shower was built specifically for that scene so it didn't leak. So it was filled with water. You know, it was terrifying as it were because you've got light hanging over you. I went to UCLA theater. I know how to hang lights. I was checking to make sure the safety, they're like, it's like a, a I don't know, like a dog chain, you know, that make sure the light, if it falls, it won't fall. The safety chain, okay? Terrifying enough to be in that container of water and then to hear oh everyone's peeing in it it's and i go underwater Ugh. in that shower. yeah 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 okay so was i being an alarmist no no <laughs> no not at all no um <laughs> yeah and it's the fact that i was quote difficult apparently uh, because I wasn't going to pull my bathing suit down lower in dry scenes, not even in the shower, walking down the psychiatric hallway, the horrifying, you know, naked and this and mm-hmm. that, had a body double. Um, but the, the frontal scenes of me just to show my face, and they're like, oh, you need to, you know, you bring it down lower kind of thing. It was just... Yeah, so they they spit on me. Yeah, that's lame. Well, I'm sorry. By not having an end credit. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. It's a glamorous yeah. business, people. It's a very, very <laughs> glamorous <laughs> business. You too could uh, find yourself in a shower full of pee. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think but of the it's best. Chlorinated water. Oh, what's the problem? Did they say that? <laughs> did, did they say that? No. Oh. What I'm oh. saying is after the fact. All right, wow. fine. It's a big old pool. They're hosing in or, you know, pulling in the water from this, you know, assess, Andras, you know, and, <laughs> and it's chlorinated, but that just was horrible. And. I really do feel like hair and makeup, they were like looking out for me, you know? That's great. Crew was just laughing. And the fact then that when I heard of this and they're like, and I'm on, I'm in my trailer all day and didn't work. And they're like, well, Lisa, it's because they had to drain. We we're doing, we're draining the pool of water and refilling it, but it's going to take hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. So, yeah, good. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have peed in it. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't pee in the pool. Oh my lord! Um, <laughs> all right, I, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take a total turnaround because I don't know how to get out of this. <laughs> so we're gonna I'm gonna bring up something that I noticed that was really interesting in this movie that maybe you remember or maybe you don't. But there's the moment in this film that I found very striking and strange. And I've never seen this in a movie before, but it's you crying 
while microwaving a TV dinner. That there's something about that scene that was really uh, there was something really odd and fascinating about that moment. Why why is it odd and fascinating? I don't know, just the combination of like you're you're crying, it's an emotional scene, but you're like right in front of the microwave and you're making these TV dinners, like these sad there's something sad about like there's something already sad about a TV dinner and then just having somebody weep in front of these TV dinners being microwaved, not even in the oven. I just found something really I've never seen that in a movie before. Wait, no, there was a dinner in the microwave. What was in the microwave? <laughs> a dinner. Yeah, TV dinner. But I, that's odd. That's a, there's something about that scene that I found very strange. I don't know why, but I just I t- maybe because I'm obsessed with food. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I need to tell. I need to let Lisa in on some things. <laughs> Pretty much every episode, Brian hones in on a scene in which someone's eating food in an odd way that he is obsessed <laughs> with. You can go back. <laughs> moment but that is also the moment that dad is there mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like cooking some food in the microwave but it's not about food coming out of the microwave it's the fact that dad that's the the line he says i'm just happy there's going to be another it's his line of forgiveness of me being a pregnant teenage woman yeah it has nothing to do about, about the food not for you, but for Brian, it does. <laughs> I, just, I just found it interesting. There was like this family moment of, of like the dad admitting like, it'll be nice to have the family be bigger and it's okay that you're a teen who's pregnant, but the dinner is not some, you know, fancy dinner. Like it's not he some brought in groceries. There's yeah. groceries there. Yeah. So there's food. He is grocery shop. <laughs> brought in food. I happen to be cooking something in the microwave. Again, to eat. Lisa, I'm hungry. To let you know about Brian, he's he's also a director. His his uh, debut film, the the big set piece in the movie, features his main character eating an entire pizza over the course of like an eight minute scene. Uh, so. <laughs> It's you, you just you got to you got to get on. I've learned this with Brian. You got to get on his food wavelength here. Just you're like, yeah, that that meal is that that food and microwave is sad. Brian, Brian, you have to look at the fact that there's actually groceries, but I'm eating. I'm, you know, I'm heating up the last of a microwave dinner because now we're going to have real good food. Yeah, because I'm pregnant. Yeah, we fed. Yeah, it's great. It's like food as, yeah, it's food as, sim- it's like food used as symbolism. Like you're having your sad TV dinner, but then dad is like, no, no, it's okay. We're going to be a great family and here's fresh food instead for the next meal that you know yeah, that we're all safe. Saw that. Yeah, okay. so like I just, there's something, but but I like the idea of whoever's idea it was. I don't know if that was in the script or what, but they used the TV dinner to lean into your character's sadness. Brilliant. <laughs> And That's there's something else I want to say about that scene. And there's something, if I could redo and react it, is that I'm looking at my watch. Mm. You notice that. Why are you looking at your watch? Because it's the last thing I have for my husband. My Ah, that's, oh, God, yeah, that's right. And I look at it and it doesn't play. 
it doesn't play well to the audience. Mm. But I'm looking at my watch because I'm thinking of Dan. It was the last thing he gave me. Mm. But it didn't play because that prop on my the, the wristwatch didn't play in the film. But You know, it would have played? If you, you look at it. If you'd been wearing, if you'd had a bandana on your arm with the, if you'd had Rick's bandana on his, your arm and you looked down and you're, then you started crying over that, people would have been like, yeah, I feel that. Absolutely. In fact, I wish that bandana had been on my wrist <laughs> along with the watch and then it would have been understood. But it's a weird thing. When I've seen that scene, I'm like, dang didn't play right. I, it, it wasn't significant. Like why yeah. the microwave is going, but why is Alice looking at her watch? It's because it was a sentimental mm. piece of yeah. jewelry. Yeah. Hmm. But it didn't get, you know, didn't get played out. Well, the TV dinners Pardon? did. Pardon? The TV dinners did. It, that had an effect on me. <laughs> All right, very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> Brian, the hungry man Connolly here. <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand, too, like Rennie Harlan in Nightmare 4 was very, very specific about the jewelry that I wore. Hmm. One was a necklace, and the other was a watch, and they that was a big part of the budget because they had to like lease it, rent it or whatever for me to wow. for a month and a half. Um, because it was sentimental jewelry from my mother. So in ah, number five, yeah. I kind of played that on, but it didn't, it's missed. It's not picked. <laughs> it didn't continue. Well, one, it was a different director, completely different director than Rennie Harlan. Yeah. It is It is not to boost your ego, Andras, but it is weird that a year later, this family still wouldn't be dealing with the death of, of their son and brother. <laughs> yep. It is odd. It is odd. That, like, and especially a movie that deals with dreams and nightmares that you wouldn't show up in one of these people's dreams or nightmare. Uh, it is, that Because they went with the through line of continuing the story, it is a little strange that there's no mention of a brother, really. <laughs> Yes, it is. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they do, like you said, they mention the pitter-patter of children's feet. It'd be nice. But yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm i with you. But but I think I think the real through line is, and this is the thing that is the thing that I've learned in this conversation, is that it made sense that they didn't have me back because they were pissing in my pool. From the second I, <laughs> I from the second I, fi I finished my last bit of uh, ADR, I remember it on the day. Like we were all great, and then. But I, what did you do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. Well, well neither did you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I did many things wrong. I didn't pull my bathing suit down. Wouldn't do nudity. Uh, oh no, I did many things quote unquote wrong for production. It inconvenienced them. What yeah. did you do? Like oh that? well, what I did was it was a it was a double whammy. One, I was Tuesday's boyfriend, and Rennie wanted to always get me out of the picture and be <laughs> alone with her. 
because he was a, he's a creep. Um, <laughs> and and then on the day when I left ADR, I, I was going off to f- film another film right away, and they had got their scheduling wrong, and I had to leave to catch a flight, and they were like they were telling me no you have to stay if you don't stay you know you'll you know some version of we'll get you you know and yeah you won't be listed in the end credits well you won't <laughs> be invited to any of the you won't be invited to the premiere or the or any of the really yeah yeah, yeah. i was you know and and you know what they you know the i i joke about it at cons all the time but the the press release photo that they sent out which was the cast which was our cast had rodney eastman's name under my picture honey mm. i know i think you learned it from me yeah <laughs> and you know it's just all these it's these things that like if it was one of them it would be an accident I, the word for them now is microaggressions this is just a series yeah. of microaggressions that Wait, 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 what micro regression, micro aggression, micro aggression is like if you were if you're working with someone and they always mispronounce your name, it's like, no, at the the first time it's a mistake. Now you're just kind of doing it because (laughs) you want to be a little you want it. Micro. Wait, wait, I have to get this word right. Microaggression. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, and now you learn this at work, at work, like where I work and other places, this is part of sort of the learning. Like you take a class about it because, because it's, it's not, it doesn't fly anymore or it's not supposed to fly anymore on in the work environment. Wait, wait. So in the work environment, microaggression is part of your learning of, yep. Yeah, like when you do like your sexual and harassment why I workshop. Can't say the word gay anymore, and I have to <laughs> call him someone else, something else. I think I mean, he can say gay. That's fine, but I think I it's think, I think it's a think, thing where if someone like so to demonstrate a microaggression, if someone tells you, I would prefer that you refer to me as LGBT, and then you keep calling them gay then that's a microaggression. But if you just say gay, I don't think like in, if you say, is that character gay? Is that, you know, then it's, I don't feel like that. I guess unless there's the whole world is telling you don't say that, but I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like there's a, there's a wide array of words to use to describe (laughs) people who live on all sides of the spectrum. In in general, I just say now human being. Yes, you're a human being. That human and being is giving me a microaggression. Oh, God. I'm so true. Anyway. I'm way too old. I don't understand. I guess. So, Andros. Because, Brian, we have, Andros and I have explored a whole other arena of things he didn't know and things I didn't know about him and his yeah. experiences. So, this has been a fabulous interview. Yeah. It's, just, it's been therapeutic for you guys, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> well, when the yeah, when this drops, the controversy, did the things you didn't know, the things that the controversy, yeah, that we mm. didn't know, the taboos that were exposed in this episode, the taboos, yeah, of the I nightmare mean... microaggressions. <laughs> Who else? Like, will yeah. there will there be a whole movement? Will there be other? Will all the other nightmare kids come out and be like? Yeah, this is what they did. Danny Hassel will be like, 
We'll have to get a thing out and say, where did Nightmare on Elm Street touch you on this picture? The nightmare well, continues. <laughs> the nightmare of enlightenment. <laughs> well, uh, we want to thank you, Lisa, for joining us on our little show. This has been a long time coming. Uh, and thanks for opening up about uh, all your personal stuff with this and your thoughts on it. I think it's really great to hear about it from you. It was fantastic. It was like a therapy session. Thank you so much, Andras. It would, it would be uh, fun to meet you someday in the world somewhere. I'm sure I would. Well, conventions. Hello. <laughs> I've never been to a convention. so What? <laughs> I've never been. I should go. Andras? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get that man to a convention. What the hell? He doesn't even know what that was doing. If he's been to con- do a convention. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I had no idea. I had no idea that he, he he kept this he kept this from me all this time. I guess he's he's deeply ashamed and embarrassed. But you brought it out. Your transparency and your and your telling us your story has got him to finally admit this failing. Brian, it's okay. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Brian. Yeah. Where do you live? I live in Austin, Texas. There's spooky. There's so many. Con- there's a convention in Texas that's huge. Texas Frightmare, baby. I... Where's that? Houston? Dallas? It's Houston, All right, isn't it? You need to get your ass to a convention. Because <laughs> you know what? You don't even know what the hell you're doing until you go to a convention. Okay. okay. Brian, she, she's... <laughs> She's opening up a can of whoop ass on you. You gotta, you know. All right, all right, I'll go. It's Mother's Day, and Mom is telling you, get yourself to a goddamn convention. You really have to experience it, Brian. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm AJ, and we have a podcast called The Director's Wall, examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Go to a convention, Brian! <laughs> well, you know, it's, it is, everyone has to do something for the first time. So Believe I guess me. now that I've been shamed publicly, uh, I, got, I will go. I will go. I... COVID be damned. I'll go to a convention. Okay. Are they doing conventions again? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are. And cool. I, I just... So when Lisa... I, I respect Lisa's uh, diktats and her commands. <laughs> but I will tell you that from my standpoint, there's something about people who say you have to go to a convention that it's sort of like people who say you have to go to Vegas. <laughs> you know... <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like I've spent a lot of time at conventions and if you love being there, it's, it's great. And, you know, certainly I have a blast. People treat me like I'm a movie star there. So that's, yeah, 
that's a bad that's like the 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 ultimate amusement park for, for me <laughs> but i also can totally understand why someone who wasn't being treated like a movie star there uh might be want to go for like an hour or two and then <laughs> well get out well well maybe they can bring our show to a convention and if they if they work that in then that would then they can treat me like a rock star too and then that would make me more excited to go maybe yeah <laughs> you know when they a live you, show when they do know? that when they start having uh vincent gallo and the paperboy <laughs> conventions <laughs> that's never <laughs> <laughs> the the big rules don't apply warren Beatty fest oh yeah Beatty fest i'll see you at Beatty fest that would be awesome i would love that god don't that would be amazing know. people dressing up as if you were to dress up as a different as a care a warren bay character which one would it be if you did cause Beatty cosplay well it all depends like if i was if i was with a date i would want to be bonnie and clyde Oh, if I was feeling really good in my body and had nice long hair, I think I would go as shampoo. I yeah. Would, and yeah. I would have the, the shampoo in my holster. Yeah. Thing and the glasses. <laughs> and uh, and if but if I was if I was going to have to enact a scene, I would definitely go as John Reed from Reds because I want to do the scene. I've always the, the scene where he says. You can't change my work. Nobody changes my work. That's the end of it. But the build up to it is so good. It's such a great scene. So, I, yeah. But, I, you know, but you'd have people walking around as Dick Tracy. You'd have yeah. Bullworth. Bullworth would be fun. Yeah. It's hard to dress up as Bullworth. I don't think so. I feel there's like a certain kind of like it's been long enough that there's like a 90s sort of way to wear a suit. Do you want to Bullworth? Do you want to walk around doing bad raps that are cringely almost racist. It, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to like, if you can pull it off, you're Warren, but you win Beatty Fest. I cannot do that. You know, I think I would do his character from Ishtar when he wears the headband. Oh yeah. And like that, that would be a good look. And then you get someone to be Hoffman with you. Uh, Actually, I get you to do it. Yeah. So you be Hoffman. I'll be Beatty. And we do our Ishtar cup costume couples costume yeah we, we gotta start baby fest this like i think this is a great idea it would be awesome you can have panels of all his girlfriends <laughs> like you can you can have shirley uh, mclean do like palm readings you can have uh just show all these movies they're all good except for you know a few just don't show town and country and show everything else and then you're fine baby I will see you at Beatty Fest in 2023. This is happening. And we're going to find some with money. We're going to, what town would you do it in? LA, I guess? Yeah, uh, I think you, uh, I think you'd have to do it. Uh, in Ishtar? It has, it has to be something. It ha, isn't there, there there's got to be some, some cities named in You're So Vain. Like what, like it has to be on a yacht, right? You have to have, you have to have Beatty Fest on a yacht. Is that song about Warren Beatty? Oh, yeah. Oh, I never knew that. <laughs> I didn't know he broke Carly Simon's heart. Um, I mean, wow. Okay, she got wow. she got a pretty good song about out of it, and she got Mick Jagger <laughs> to sing backing vocals on it. So, it's... oh, what I didn't even know that was a thing too. I oh yeah, so much about he's the one who's like, yes, <laughs> I'll Listen to oh. it. It's so we've now knowing Uncredited? it's Uncredited. Uh, I don't know if he's. 
I've never looked at the credits. I've just always just oh, known wow. that that was that was Mick. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. Well. <laughs> but is there anything you want to say about the the conversation with with Lisa besides <laughs> that the that the that we could come up with a better convention and we should. We, I mean, a beta a beta convention would be a better convention. Um. No, I think that it it was a great conversation. I think it's really cool and brave of her to open up about sort of the really shitty experience she had with it. And despite her liking the movie, it seems like she like appreciates the movie for what it is. But I think it's great that she kind of shared these stories of how not fun it could be. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. That was really that was really nice. Um, and yeah, and it's just <laughs> it's funny. Because I've never met her before, but you talk about her a lot, not necessarily in the show, but just because I've known you for so long and you've known her so long, she just comes up. But you guys definitely seem to have like a a brother-sister dynamic and you being the little brother. Like that's kind of feels like in real life, that's your relationship. Is that true? Do you feel that way? Uh, Well, yeah, I don't have it. I don't have. She is the closest thing to a sister I have. I, when I was oh, great. 19 years old. She was thrust into my life and I see her like once a year at yeah. gatherings and yeah. And we both <laughs> fall into that. Um, I, we didn't get personal, but like what, like when you guys are just hanging out, like when the convention's over and you're just having drinks at the bar, like what is your, what are your things you have in common? Like what is the thing that kind of keeps this relationship going other than you just known each other for so long? Or is that it? <laughs> no, it, it is the, it is a familial thing. I, I don't think yeah. Lisa and I have, I mean, we have, I think we have very little in common uh, and that, but in a way that's part of what makes it feel yeah. like, a brother sister relationship yeah, like we for sure it is we take it for granted that we are connected and it really yeah. doesn't matter there's no disagreement we could have about politics or lifestyle or whatever that would be more important than the life connection we share even if, like if you took nightmare on elm street away and all we had was 30 years of seeing each other once a year and having a great time. And like, we're, it's, you know, these aren't tremendously stressful situations when we meet. You know, we have things that we complain about and we kibitz about. Oh, the food here at this one's bad. Oh, not a lot of people are coming to this, this con or whatever. But yeah, it's, a, it's definitely more of a you're in my life because you're in my life. And in a way, that's mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. There is a... It could sound like that's not much, but to me, that's so much more precious than a lot of my friendships that are based in agreements, because those could go away, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One disagreement, and it's like, fuck you. <laughs> Who'd you vote for? Never talk to me again. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> yeah, it's not, I can't, that That's, couldn't happen with me and Lisa. It couldn't, you know. Do you, do you, so you go to these conventions, do you see these other relationships with people from other movies that must happen to like a lot of people? I think so. And at the same time, I think there is something that's unique about people co often comment on the way that the Nightmare on Elm Street, they still call us the Nightmare on Elm Street kids. <laughs> uh, that the Nightmare on Elm Street kids 
have this vibe. Like people will, there's, there is a, and I don't know if this is entirely true right now. There's, I don't want to get into it, but there is interpersonal stuff going on behind the scenes. And sometimes uh, it gets more difficult between some people. And then that makes things more difficult for everyone. But in general, in I've had lots of experiences where other actors who show up at these cons, they will just sort of want to join our gang because there's five <laughs> of us and it's easier to have to feel like just feel good when there's five of you as opposed to when <laughs> you're the one person from your movie and you're sitting at a table and <laughs> it just feels lonely. These things can feel very lonely if you're yeah. not with people. So like for me, my rule is I only go if Robert's going to be there. Because if Robert's yeah. going to be there, I know that other of my cast are going to want to be there and that people will want to be there. You know, talking yeah. about Mick Jagger, I say it's like it's like being a, a percussion player or a backup singer in the Stones. Like if Mick is there, you're a member of the Rolling Stones. If yeah. Mick is not there, you're some guy with a story. That you <laughs> or gal with a story, uh, so yeah, but I don't know, but it's like, I guess, it's funny that experience of being like a rock star for a weekend in one random place is uh, it's definitely one of been it's... one of the coolest things in my life in a weird way, yeah, like, yeah, not cool in the sense of like, oh, I feel cool, but the experience of it is like, I wish everyone could have that yeah. experience of like leaving your normal life and then just going to some weird town. And as you get to the airport, a few people might be like, Oh, is that? And then it's, and then they drive you to the airport, to the hotel and you walk into the hotel and everyone's like, oh, it's, uh, uh, uh. and it's a special <laughs> thing. And it's all very positive. Huh. It's not like, yeah. Oh, he's that guy. No, it's everyone's like, Oh, <laughs> that's Rick, the brother. He's such a, I love Rick. He's a brother and a boyfriend. <laughs> he's so nice. And, like as long as I don't fuck this up or say something stupid and shitty, this, every, I'm going to be Mr. Popular for, and then, then the weekend ends, you go to the airport, you see a few people, you get on the plane, you get off in Seattle and you're back and nobody cares at all. And, <laughs> you're, and in some ways that could be, you know, a relief. It depends on how you're built and how you're feeling, but that can be a relief yeah. too. Huh? Uh, so very cool. Well, we did it. This was the final uh, kind of official episode of season two for the world is wrong. We got, we're going to have a bonus episode next week, kind of a recap end cap, whatever a summary, <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, but this is the last the last movie we we did it. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and we'll, just so you know, we'll I have some plans so that we'll we'll we're not going to just turn off the spigot. We're gonna it might yeah. slow to a trickle for a little while, and I'll explain all of that in our next episode. But uh, yeah, we're not we're not abandoning you, and <laughs> we appreciate your following along with us and. I have been stocking away some bonus content that we will be releasing during our hiatus. And uh, and we should say, you know, we this is we did this in honor of Mother's Day and uh, we haven't really mentioned much about mothers. But I assume that some of the people (laughs) listening to this podcast are mothers or at the very least have 
or have had mothers. And uh, as we learned from Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, the mother-child relationship can be a complicated one. Uh, the, the world is wrong, and that includes your mom uh, or my mom or uh, the mom you are because we're all you know we all it's like when things are complicated uh, deep relationships are you know whenever people talk about Mother's Day or Father's Day they always want to make it all be like yay 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 but then I know people who are who do have complicated relationships with their parents and yeah so I like to say like Mother's Day is a great time to celebrate your mom or if you're a mom to be celebrated and part of that celebration in the spirit of the world is wrong is to be honest about the places where it's not movie perfect, but uh, it's it's still uh, you perfect, even in its imperfections. So do you have thoughts on Mother's Day, Brian? Uh, no, I just, you know, I, I, I like my mom a lot. I love my mom. And uh, yeah, and it is complicated. It, it is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> complicated for you, complicated for me, particularly complicated for Freddy Krueger, it seems. His, his relationship with his mom, that's not uh, great. That's rough. That's rough. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay, well, we're, so we, we, don't have a, we don't have something coming up next to tell you about, but if you want to respond to this episode or anything we talked about in it, uh, if you are a former New Line executive and you'd like to offer an <laughs> apology of some kind, certainly we we can make that a bonus episode, uh, or we'll just read your letter on uh, on the podcast as we do every episode. Every episode we read <laughs> all the letters we get, all of the emails, pretty much everything you write to us. And if you notice that we almost never do that, it's not because we don't create the space for it. It's just that. You still aren't writing to us. So if you wanted to us, you, you wanted to, you could write to us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast and on Twitter at world is wrong pod. And every episode of the show is featured on a page all its own on the website, which is www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. As always, you can find Brian's other podcast, The Director's Wall, where he and A.J. Gonzalez talk about the films of a given director over the period of uh, sometimes several years. In this case, they're going through the cinematic life of Francis Ford Coppola. And you can always find my other podcast, The Radio 8 Ball Show, by going to my website, uh, www.radio8ball.com that's radio the number 8ball.com you can also get the Radio 8 Ball app if you are, are an iPhone user just look up Radio 8 Ball and download the app and interface with synchronicity and music that way and let me take a breath <sighs> uh, okay well it's been a fantastic second season Brian, um, yeah. Next week we'll tell people we'll let people in on some of the exciting stuff that's going on that is taking some of our attention away from this for a little while. Uh, but do you want to? You have any last things you want to say to our audience before we shuffle off? No, let's shuffle off. Okay, let's ruffle off to shuffleo, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You know it. Say it along with me. Wherever you are, 
the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. Mommy, come downstairs. He won't hurt you. He needs his boat. I've got you both. <laughs> come on, Jacob. It's time to go home. <laughs> Here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.